3: there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. Respect it and validate it. Remember that's what you told me. It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight. Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. And joining me today, we have Michael Schwartz. Hey, everyone. Great to be back. And Will Mavity. Hey guys! So, the original
0: trio uh, joining you all for mm, today. Very nostalgic. Sh- we should be so in in Hollywood right now with the nostalgia <laughs> going on. We should have so much to talk about. <clears throat> there should
3: be so many things to cover. But it's April. <laughs> yeah, upon first glance,
0: exactly. It doesn't look doesn't look that good right now. Yeah, at the I, moment. Got, I got some okay news. I got some vaguely interesting news i got about 17 things to talk about jesus christ all right well i've got some uh questions
3: from fans as always uh no trailer to discuss this week um but a little quick backstory for everybody i am working on less than 10 hours of sleep right now oh, and i'm not talking about for one day i'm talking about over the course of the last like three days Oof. um On top of trying to do like a zero carb, realistically below 20 grams, uh, of carbs, uh, diet right now. So my body is just ready to collapse. So if you hear snoring on the other end of the microphone, you'll know exactly why (laughs) it's definitely me and my body saying I can't handle it.
0: You actually just passed out in the podcast. (laughs) Will and I are going to take it over then. Hmm power.
3: You have to, like, yell in unison, uh, unison
2: very loudly to wake me up, I feel like. You know what? If you fall asleep, I'm gonna say, I'm the captain
0: now. Oh. <laughs> Wait, uh, Barkhad Abdi has so many films this year. Have y'all noticed that? He's got, like, four projects coming out this year. Who? I was wondering
3: why it took so long between Eye in the Sky and Captain Phillips. Was it just simply there's no roles available? Was it a relocation thing? Um... Because, oh, no, well, he's not – oh, that reminds me. No, he actually does
2: live in Los Angeles. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I think he lives in L.A. now.
3: Yeah, so
2: I don't know what
0: the deal was there. He was going to be in
2: Trainwreck, but I don't know what happened to that.
0: And then he, he for a while, was going to play a famous Olympic sprinter, but that – apparently fell through yeah he's got like he's in blade runner and he's playing he's in another somali pirate movie coming out this year too and he's got something else too so he's got like three projects finally coming up good for him you talk about typecasting jesus (laughs) yeah well he's he's playing a very different role in blade runner he's apparently absolutely unrecognizable under a lot of makeup so
2: i'm really looking forward to blade runner and i haven't even seen the original (sighs) So, can
3: we can we take a moment to appreciate that considering that when we actually talked about the trailer, you were so unenthusiastic about it? I know. Mm. You know what it is? It's giving me Mad Max
2: vibes. Yes. Yes. I completely agree with this. And the way that it's positioned with this fall release and how Warner Brothers seems to be hyping it a little bit. Uh I really know nothing about the quality of it, but this is just my gut feeling. I think we might have another big-budget Oscar contender on our hands.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like I've been
3: saying it since day one. Denis Villeneuve's uh, career trajectory is kind of
2: leading to um, an eventual win at some point. Mm -hmm. He's what changed me on it, because when we saw the first trailer, I still wasn't that crazy about Arrival. And then when I really got on board with that and saw what he was capable of, that's what sort of changed my mind.
0: I thought you weren't on board with Arrival like up to and after you saw it.
2: Well, I saw it twice. It was the second time that I really got on board with it.
3: Hey, you know what? Sometimes that happens for us. I mean, my classic example that I use time and time again is No Country for All Men. Oh, hated so it the
2: first time I saw what? it. Yep. Hated it. Did you just see that ending with Tommy Lee Jones and you're like, Where's the rest of the movie? And then I woke up. <laughs> it wasn't so
3: much that. It was also um, the lack of a score. Um, I wasn't about it at first. There, there were a couple things. I mean, also, too, I don't know if this really has much bearing, but I'm, I'm 17 years old when the movie comes out, and I'm watching it in theaters. You know, So I don't know if a maturity um, factor was in play here, combined with expectations. Um, but when I saw it the second time,
0: Yeah, I mean it's a masterpiece. Oh my god, it's a
2: masterpiece.
0: Just the sheer amount of tension they can create and make—like they make you care about whether or not that gas station owner lives or dies, who you've never met and he's not an interesting person. Like that Mm -hmm. is astonishing they can create that kind of tension. And it's funny.
2: That's what I like about it too. In some sick, dark Coen Brothers way, it's still funny.
0: Yeah, I love that one woman who won't let him go to Josh Brolin's trailer. Yeah, her and uh, the mother-in-law. Oh God, she was great.
3: Oh man, and uh, what, what did she say in the uh, in the
0: taxi cab? She's like, "I saw this coming, you know. I previsioned it." Yeah. You know, we should have we should have had like a face-off between her and the woman who worked at the steakhouse in Heller Highwater. <laughs> oh my God! So what don't you want? Speaking of which, <laughs> where the hell did David McKenzie doing a? Like, British period or Scottish period piece about Robert the Bruce come from. Like, that's an interesting story, but for his next project, that is like the most, particularly since Chris Pine is going to have to do a workable Scottish accent, as will Ben Foster. It, it, how do we feel about that? Um. This is like, you know, they just announced that this week. This is big news. It's like, um, it's essentially the follow up to Braveheart, because, you know. Right.
3: I would have I would be more skeptical on it if Hell or High Water was his only film, uh, but Startup also was really good, so I'm not considering him to be like a fluke director. But I mean, you know, if all he had was just this one movie, um, I, I'd be obviously a little skeptical because you know beginner's luck or you know you, you never really know. But I think the quality of Startup and um, Hell or High Water really does speak volumes to the talent that this guy has. Yeah,
2: he did great work on Hell or High Water. I even thought he was going to get an Oscar nomination for it. So yeah. I'm very excited to see where he goes. Um, speaking of Oscar nominations uh, for a moment here,
3: I wanted to start off with um first question from a fan, uh, Roger Fritz here, uh, at RogerCFR on Twitter. He asks, what is the favorite best picture winner as of today is it detroit paul thomas anderson film the post something
0: else what do you guys think i think on paper the post is the most oscar friendly
2: definitely and we have a release date for it which is not so oscar friendly though Mm -hmm. it's going to be a december 22nd (laughs)
0: lots of nominations
2: no wins but this was interesting though when fox put out the release date They're not calling it The Post. What are they calling it? They're calling it just the Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks Mm. project. Well, I mean, you know, it could have a different title, obviously,
3: by the time it releases.
2: But they are going to go for that hard because it is going to be the most relevant movie this year. Unless something changes, which these days it could change in an instant. Uh, But yeah, I've said how much I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a relevant story with big names, so definitely keep an eye on that.
0: We got, a bunch of new, uh, we got a bunch of new release dates, too. I feel like that's worth yeah,
2: mentioning, too. And changes. Everything is changing.
0: Hit, hit us up with that. What do you got for us there, Will? Uh, well, we have Murder on the Orient Express getting a November release date, which I'm very excited about. I love me some Agatha Christie, and that's a hell it of a cast. It moved up.
2: It was going to be Thanksgiving weekend, and now it's November 10th.
0: Right.
3: What was it facing competition from that they moved it up?
2: Nothing big. I mean, because all the other releases are going to be limited around Thanksgiving, like uh, Call Me By Your Name and Darkest Hour, I believe, is limited. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they moved it away from Thanksgiving. Maybe because of Coco, but that's a different audience.
0: Who knows?
3: What else you got with there, Will?
0: Uh, let's see. We got release dates for a couple things. that got bumped back to 2018, so Red Sparrow, the Cold War thriller um that some had interest in being very good is that F jennifer lawrence is that who's in that yeah um it got it, yeah it got bumped to spring 2018 we got a release date for the remy malik's freddie mercury biopic as well as steve mcqueen's widows are both going to be waiting so next excited year. for widows widows sounds amazing and
2: what a cast oh my goodness
0: and it just keeps getting better. i am so pumped it's wild Ah, uh, four Avatar sequels got release dates, so... <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> yeah, e- exactly. Mike, we had some more release dates. Uh, we had General Del Toro's Cold War film is getting a December yes, release date. The Shape date. of
2: Water will be in a Fox Searchlight's Jackie slot the first Friday in December. <laughs> Hopefully it performs better with the
0: award season than that. I'm looking
2: at Box Office Mojo right now, seeing what else was here. Uh, will, you'll like this. The Kingsman... The Golden Circle.
0: Well, I was sticking mainly to Oscar-friendly films. But, yeah, I am excited about that. Hey, 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 hey. I have the Kingsman in my Best Picture lineup right now.
3: <laughs> it is a hell of an ensemble cast. I, I, I thank you for detecting my sarcasm, by the way.
0: I don't know, like, if that came across. <laughs> yeah, yes, it did. Those are the big Oscar ones. Those are the big release dates, for sure. But those are all uh, worth noting changes of. But, yeah, going back to the original question, I think of things that look Oscar-friendly on paper, you know, Detroit and The Post are the only ones that read, like, winners on paper And The Post. Seems more classic Oscar-friendly than Detroit.
3: Yeah, yeah. I um, Last time I spoke about this, I thought it could be Detroit after seeing the trailer. I'm a little skeptical. The Post, however, feels like that on-paper Oscar film that, quite honestly, just doesn't, pan out um i don't know what it is but i feel like in 2017 the internet just plays a large large role in something appearing to be too oscar baity and in just bringing it down Uh, both both critically uh and also like pre-buzz word of mouth
0: things like that I mean, film Twitter has unwittingly become like a kingmaker, kind of, it seems like, and generating these backlashes and bits of momentum against films. I mean, it, it is wild how that has changed the Oscar race. If you can make it on film Twitter, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film
0: Podcast.
2: Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays Called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias, at Incessionfilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. All righty.
3: Uh, let's be, let's go back and forth. I kind of like this whole back and forth thing. Let's go over to another question here. This one's from uh, Josh Parham at Jr Parham on Twitter. What is your favorite and least favorite Oscar win since 2010? Oh For wow! Me, the best is Spike Jones, and the worst is a tie between Meryl Streep winning Best Actress and Quentin Tarantino winning Best Screenplay.
2: Whoa. Whoa whoa whoa. best
3: and worst um since 2010 yeah I mean this is a I, I definitely have a best in mind, but a worst I, I might have to come back to
0: this. Do you, do you have anything there will? No um there's there's really been a lot of ones. That's such a big question I am not ready to answer that yet.
2: I have mine best and worst and they're both from the same year actually. What do you got for us there Michael? All right, so I'm going to start with Best, and this comes from 2015's Oscars that were held in 2016, and that is Best Supporting Actor going to Mark Rylance. I love Bridge of Spies. I think he is a phenomenal actor of stage and screen, and I love to see him rewarded here for what I thought was the best performance of the year across any category. I know the favorite was Stallone, and he was very good. I don't know if he was actually the favorite. I think he was sentimental favorite. Stallone, you, well, going into the night, everyone was predicting him.
0: Stallone. Everyone was predicting. I mean, Rylance was an upset. Everyone was predicting Stallone. Rylance couldn't even take SAG without Stallone in competition. It was but Stallone didn't upset. even get SAG nominated. Then, yeah, uh, there were there were a lot of factors in in play here. There
3: you
2: were, know what I mean? When you look at it now, but I think that night everyone sort of. The pundits got caught up in the emotion of it, it seemed like, and nobody was predicting otherwise. Well, standing
3: ovation at Critics' Choice and at Golden Globes and being in a very
2: well-respected film will do that for you, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, I adore Mark Rylance in that movie. It's not my very favorite performance of the decade that we're looking at here, but I think between the surprise of it and having him go up and accept, I love that moment. Okay, and the worst comes from that same year, actually. Uh, My least favorite winner from the last couple of years is Alicia Vikander, winning for The Danish Girl. I think she's a very talented actress, and I love to see what she does in upcoming films, but I didn't think her performance in The Danish Girl was all that, especially compared to someone like Rooney Mara and Carol, who was just astonishing.
3: I think it was just really the announcement of, hey, here's a new star sort of thing with Alicia Vikander. Yeah. She I mean she had a great year that year. And I think if you poll most people, most people would say that her performance in Ex Machina is what gave her the win.
0: Yeah, and on like honestly, if they had run her lead, like they probably should have, I think she would have been absolutely been nominated and one for Ex Machina. I mean like Yeah, that was absolutely just kind of a Kind of like Jessica Chastain's The Help nomination was really a way of saying you were so good in all these movies we're gonna throw it to you, and then it was just massive category fraud in the case of Vikander. Yeah. Yeah, damn. I you know even thinking about
2: that win now it's it's very forgettable. Yeah, it very much is. And I love her though. I like I loved her in the Light Between Oceans last year. Oh, she was great in that,
0: she's yeah. She's often very good, but that is such a... Just everything about that film is bland. I mean, yeah. and basically her entire performance, it's not her fault, she was written to just basically cry the entire film. And she got to do a good crying showcase, but compared to some of the very complex performances she's gotten to give at other times, it's it's wild that that's what she won for. Mm-hmm. It's not wild, it's the Academy. Ah! <laughs> New catchphrase, right? (laughs) Uh, Matt, you need to go to bed. Um, I have for the best, I have to choose ones that were surprising. You know, I I don't think a win that I predicted can ever be a favorite Oh, God, here comes
3: the Ex Machina visual effects win.
0: Ex Machina for visual effects is my favorite Oscar win of the decade. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) I knew it. As soon as you said surprising. (laughs) I also, you know, I really enjoyed a rival winning sound editing this year because that was some of the best sound editing of the year and I thought it had no chance at winning. But yeah, I'm going to go with Ex Mahina because I don't think I've ever been... I guess Moonlight, given the circumstances, was more (laughs) shocking. But I don't think I have ever had a category where what I thought was the fifth most likely film in the category to win ended up winning. I mean, that just floored me. So yeah, Ex Mahina.
3: Yeah, um, Moonlight was clearly obviously the number two film. Uh, even though its win was surprising uh, to a certain degree, Ex Machina was something that I-, I don't think a single person on the planet was predicting that to happen. <laughs> so, and and if if you are that person, feel free to DM me and let me know. Um, because God bless you for your random bold prediction, and I hope you had some uh, really good Vegas odds on those. Just saying,
2: it's like. It's like this year, too. Who predicted Fantastic Beasts to win costumes?
3: Um, Kristen did until I talked her out of it. Oh, that's right. She did.
0: <laughs> oh, she'll never forgive me for that. Now, on to the worst. Um, ah, God, Writings on the Wall for Best Original Song. Particularly when Lady Gaga's great song was up. That was. Yeah, not. Not a great win. It was embarrassing. They bring the
2: survivors on stage.
0: I know! I know! It was... A, it, compared... To, and they had such a build-up for Gaga's song. And that it that is a really good song, on top of having a good message. And then, like... Not only does... Spectre then become... one of the only Bond films to win an Oscar, when far better Bond films like Casino Royale did not... Um, it's also only the second Bond song to win, and I just it's, it's ridiculous that that one gets to make the history books as a result. It's, I mean, like, I, I like Sam Smith and I like James Bond. That is not a good representation of either of those things, that win is not.
2: But remember, Sam Smith was the first gay Oscar winner, so we can't <laughs> oh, God. think oh,
0: about it. <laughs> oh, that was so uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, what about you, Matt?
3: Um, well, uh, for worst, I have a tie. Uh, Tom Hooper in the Kings speech which everybody you know if you've been listening to the show for the past couple of months I don't think will come as a surprise to most people um, especially when you think that he won out over Darren Aronofsky for Black Swan um, David Fincher for the social network who should have won um, hell even the Coens for true grit and David o. Russell um, I thought did more. Uh, complex and daring work than what Tom Hooper did with that film. And Christopher Nolan for Inception was not even nominated, so...
2: But is it that you don't like Hooper's work, or you just like the competition better? Um, I like the competition better, is what it comes down okay. to. Because I would have given it to Fincher, too, but Hooper's my runner-up that year.
3: Mm, yeah, no, I, I really truthfully just believe The King's Speech is uh like a TV movie made for HBO. I think it's so oh, bland. Ooh. Yeah, we differ, but yeah,
0: I think I think the King's Speech is a good film. I think it is a very well written film. Yes, but it I think it succeeds almost in spite of Hooper's direction, not because of it. You know, I think I think Tom Hooper is extremely good with actors, but his camera work and just general framing of shots, blocking of shots, everything, um, almost always just. Dis- detracts from the projects he works on and it's not as dp because uh, you know he shot room and room looked great and i mean you see this on things like john adams he worked on too where like again it's just a very uncomfortable aesthetic
2: yep see you either love it or you hate it because i know you both aren't fans of how he did les mis but oh I, loved, I hate that i loved his approach to les mis but it's the same approach he
3: uses in the king's speech in many ways though Like he has a distinct style, I think if you did like a YouTube parody of, um, you know, you shooting something else the way Tom Hooper would shoot it, you could really clearly point out um, his style, I believe, because I think it is uh, something that he has carried across uh, his other films, including um, the Danish Girl, most recently. So um, tied though with that for worst win, um, I gotta mention Christoph Waltz winning a second time for Django Unchained. Because it just did not feel right that Christoph Waltz was winning uh, when he had just won again so recently for a far superior performance. Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't even nominated. And, I, and I'm and just putting myself in that mindset at the time of how I felt. Um, and I really, really honestly thought going into the night after the SAG win, I thought Tommy Lee Jones was going to win it as well. So... It was just like a really bad combination of me me just being super pissed off. Uh, I'm sorry, but should have won. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Masters
0: Yeah, pretty he should have, but he was never going to. And I don't think Waltz was the worst of the nominees. You know, I think... Um, it was it was it was a pretty complex performance, all things considered. It's entertaining, honestly. I wouldn't even say it's complex. It better than
3: Arkin. Yeah, Arkin just simply, you know, had one liners and zingers and got an Oscar nomination. But that's fine though, because I mean, once again, entertaining. You know, and it's to me, Arkin winning uh, would not have been worse and would not have been better uh, than Christoph winning. That's how I would compare that. So. Uh, because you know what, too, the comparison also would be he won recently for Little Miss Sunshine, and it's a very similar co- type of performance. Uh, you know, old man saying funny things at the end of the day. It just, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't too crazy about it. Best win. Um, I don't want to just say Moonlight. I, I, I mean, it might be the best, but I, I really just don't want to just go there. Um, Twelve Years a Slave. Winning out over gravity for me. That wasn't a surprise, though. I mean, like, that yeah, was I mean, pretty
0: expected. Going it's not so that.
3: much surprising. It's more so uh, what we thought was our, you know, our favorite, you know, uh, according to Josh Parham's uh, question. And for me, 12 years of slave winning, I think, was just. There's something very, very, very satisfying about Will Smith being up there and gleefully with a smile on his face announcing 12 Years a Slave and then seeing the crew and Steve McQueen and just everybody being so, so joyous. And the music. The The music. Oh, and least I forget, Brad Pitt, Oscar winner. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like (sighs) – That was just a really, really, really satisfying moment um, for me, especially when you also consider, too, uh, the only other wins it got were for adapted screenplay and supporting actress, uh, very much like Moonlight, um, you know, beating the film that wins the most awards of the night. Exactly, yeah. So, this is, uh, you know, while Moonlight kind of in a way did it second, uh, this is the film that uh, did it first uh, in this time frame that we're talking here from 2010 on, so um, I, I would give it to that. That was that was freaking awesome. Oh, and another thing too, Steve McQueen, uh, just like I said, everything he did from t- freaking yanking the Oscar out of the presenter's hand to jumping up on stage, <laughs> like, uh, dude, come on. It's just, it, it, it,
2: I, I was so happy for that guy, so, so happy. I loved watching how into it Liza Minnelli was during the night oh
0: yeah <laughs> when she like hugs lupita nyonga oh remember when she couldn't get into the selfie that was uh-huh. so funny yeah she From was the back blocked out you see
2: her face like somewhere oh, in the middle. oh man that yeah. was and hilarious she hugged lupita when she won and then when they won best pictures she starts like jumping with them oh that's way too yeah, she funny was having a blast
3: um i'm gonna just uh at this point just do the final two uh, fan questions. We'll finish and then we'll finish up with news here, and then I can finally go to bed. Um, <laughs> Matt St. Clair, f- at Film Guy Six One Nine on Twitter asks if you could make an English language uh, English language remake of a foreign film. Which one would it be?
2: Mm. I want to say the one that's currently happening because I really didn't like the original, and that's Tony Erdman. You know what? If if Jack can
3: stay alive long enough. Um, hey, 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 don't I, think I, that I, Hey, God bless man. He just turned 80. And with all the things he's done to his body probably over the years, it's a miracle in and of itself. But, uh, if, like I said, if he can make it, I can't wait to see it. Um, I, I'm not saying that that would be my pick, though. Um, you know, it's really tricky because I the, the very, very good foreign films that you see... Um tend to be pretty pretty perfect in their own right. And it's like I I wouldn't necessarily want it to be changed. Um with that said, I kind of would like to see a remake of Dogtooth. Mm. With the American um you know, thriller slash horror uh movie system being what it is and the way they market their films, I would just like to see um that take on that material like from Blumhouse. Yeah. You know, something just, I'd be very, very curious to see how they would market it towards audiences. That that's really, I think where it's stemming from is I'd want to see how they could cater it towards American audiences. And then when they even get to see the movie itself, they're probably just going to be like, Whoa, what is this?
0: (laughs) You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I like that. I, uh, I guess for mine, I'm going to go with a film that does not need a remake, but I think it would be interesting. It's interesting to see in an American setting, which is The Hunt, um, just because that worked very well in its like small Danish setting. Yeah, and I think it could be an interesting spin to put that in small-town America because just culturally, you know, there's certain universal events that would happen there and certain ones that would not that's such just that i mean that movie really gets to me for some reason so I, I i gotta go with the hunt but at the same time please don't remake the hunt because it's a fantastic film as is and you should all see it what about you michael tony Arman, right
2: yeah i'm gonna stick with that even though it's happening because i really want to see that in, in an american setting it would benefit
3: you know what i'm actually gonna post that as a question on uh twitter For everybody that's listening right now, if you see this question, uh, be sure to answer with your own uh, thought here uh, so that this way not only we can know, but also uh, Matt St. Clair can know as well. Thank you for the question there, Matt. Um, I'd be very interested to hear whatever people have to say. And then the final question here, um, kind of unrelated, but I think it's fun because I am a sucker for this. Uh, Toby Hill uh, at Sled Camera 17 asks, I've been
0: thinking about reorganizing my movie collection. How do you have yours sorted? So I went through a long period in my life of compulsively buying DVDs. My dad and I did basically until I went off to college and then realized that there's no point spending money on DVDs because they're not going to honestly be around much longer. Um, We have, or I guess now technically my dad has, uh, about 3,000 DVDs and they are all individually alphabetized. It just seemed more simple than to try to break them down by genres. So I like just this very smooth wall. It's actually two walls now of just endless varieties of DVDs. It's pretty astounding to behold, to be honest, man. Like, there's basically a blockbuster in my uh, my parents' basement. Well, that's uh, very similar to kind of what I
3: have set up, too. Um, I have about 566 Blu-rays. Um in my old apartment, I just had a ginormous shelf um, with uh, multiple um, rows, and I would just have that whole thing filled up, and it took up an entire wall. So when people walked in, they'd be like, "Oh, so this is the uh, the, the the they 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 called the Neglion c- collection, yeah. <laughs> like like Criterion collection." And uh, people would just say, Oh, this is the Neglion collection, huh? And people would just stare at it and like just see, like, oh, what hidden gems do you have in here? Oh, what's this called? The white ribbon? Oh, you know, like whatever. Something like really obscure because I, I The white ribbon's obscure. Yeah. I, I'm very I'm very proud of my collection in the sense that I choose to put films into it that I feel are of high quality. With the exception of maybe less than five films that are guilty pleasures, um, Armageddon being one of those, for example, and so I have it all sorted uh, alphabetically as well because uh, to me it's not at a point where um, the uh, what's what I'm thinking of here, like it's there's not so so many. That I would need to break it up any other way, but what I do do though that's very specific, is the traditional Blu-ray uh, casing. I make sure all of those are sorted alphabetically, and anything else that's not a traditional Blu-ray casing, something that's got um uh, different packaging or like the Criterion that are like uh more clear um plastic, I have those actually separate, and I have those alphabetic uh, alphabetized as well. So like when you look at it, it's it's not like you know, different colors uh, meshed with each other, which makes it very difficult when you have a film like Birdman. It's very OCD, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it, well, Birdman's got a blue, I'm uh, sorry, not a blue, a red uh, casing instead of a blue casing. Um, so it just like kind of stands out uh, amongst the pack and I kind of hate it for that. But anyways, yeah, I, I'm i a little OCD when it comes to the collection, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> oh, clarification, people. I do not live in my parents' basement In just... To to throw that out there, that is where the DVDs are when I tragically moved away. Just feels like something I need. To say. Why are you lo- Why are you lying to to our audience?
3: No, uh, <laughs> I'm still Michael, in college. <laughs> uh, how about you?
0: Yeah, so
2: I used to be really particular about it. I have a very big bookshelf in my room with a. Uh, in terms of actual physical DVDs and Blu-rays, it's uh, a couple hundred. Not as much as Will was talking, but uh, really a whole lot. And I tried it alphabetical once, I used to do genres, uh, I tried to by year once, but now I really don't have it organized in any way, just because I've stopped buying physical media. I don't really have the time to watch all these movies, so I stopped buying them. But it's just sort of where I throw it now. I loved having it in years, but I sort of fell off that. I'm looking at my wall now, and I have uh, listened to this for a combo. Legally Blonde, next to Sweden Lowdown, next to Evita, next to Fanny and Alexander. So, try to come up with a little pattern there. Yay. Hey, I don't know if one can. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, years were my favorite, but I uh, also enjoyed mixing it up with the genres and release dates. So, nice.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass of the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty. Or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. Alright, cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll cut here. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let
3: the games Okie dokie. Uh, Will, what do you have uh, for the rest of the news for the week here?
0: News-wise, I have... Um, I saw a headline that I thought was pretty funny because it read like an Onion headline, but was not. Um, and that is Clint Eastwood to direct patriotic real-life American heroism tale. Again. Um, because, (laughs) yeah, because Clint Eastwood is directing another real life patriotic American heroism tale, this time about a group of American tourists who foiled a terrorist attack on a train in Europe. Um, so that, that. yeah, that is going into production, I guess, after he's, isn't he doing the one about the security guard in Atlanta too? Oh, is that the one with Jonah Hill? I th- he was attached to that at one point. I-, I feel like he has another project lined up before this. No,
2: I think he was attached to that at one point, and then it fell through. This is probably his next thing. This might be his film next film then.
0: Um, otherwise, uh, v- there's a couple test screenings going on right now. Uh, Judy Dench's Victorian Abdul is testing in Los Angeles right now, so hopefully close to completion, and hopefully sooner or later word will illicitly sneak out see if we can find out anything about that speaking of words sneaking out i don't know if you guys discussed this when i wasn't on the show but really really bad response to from what a potential oscar contender from test screens which i've heard was downsizing so they, i know it's screening again this week which suggests maybe they've recut it um Anna, we talked about Bond earlier. Annapurna Pictures is one of the companies who's trying to get the rights to James Bond, which would be so cool if they did, because I feel like we would see, you know, a lot more Casino Royales and a lot fewer Spectres. You think so? Yeah, I do. I mean, is a pretty interesting company. I don't know,
3: man. I, I, hmm. I feel like the James Bond films have a formula for a reason, and I don't know if somebody is ballsy enough to mess with that so much. Especially when you consider that the Daniel Craig films were meant to be a quote-unquote reboot. In a sense, I don't know where they could take the series to at this point uh, anywhere but down, honestly. And in retrospect... I'm not even so sure if Spectre is as bad as a film as people said it was when it first came out, um, as much as they thought it was bad because they were comparing it to Casino Royale and Skyfall and completely yeah. just forgetting that Quantum of Solace even
2: existed. It suffers next to Skyfall.
3: But on its own, no, I don't think it's that bad of a film.
2: It's not terrible,
3: it's just... It was just so disappointing. Oh, bloated, that's what it is. It's definitely bloated, yes, I agree with that. And I think it also maybe suffers from... Um, Uh, Sam Mendes' uh, lack of passion, um, possibly. I don't know if anyone else got that vibe, but...
0: Yeah, I I don't think he wanted to do it. I think he had expressed hesitancy and basically just got paid enough to come back. I mean, and Sony was worried about it, too. I don't don't think Craig didn't want to be doing it. I think that was a prime example of why it was time to reboot again, and I would like to think they will, but it sounds like they're going to bring Craig back for one more. Um, other bits of news, Ang Lee is choosing a weird follow-up to Billy Lynn. Did y'all hear about this? I mean, listen, it's Ang Lee, and he does different
3: genres all the time, so whatever you're about to say, I'm not going to be surprised.
0: So the Gemini Man has been floating around Hollywood, going from director to director and screenwriter to screenwriter for like 20 years. I think Curtis Hanson, Mel Gibson, uh a bunch of people, a Tony Scott, have all been attached to it. You know, and it's had multiple screenwriters. I think David Binioff of Gave him Thrones took the latest crack at it and got paid like $2 million to rewrite it. But it's basically a film about a guy who has to fight a clone of himself who's 25 years younger. And it is just an action sci-fi with Eng Lee getting the chance to Mess around with more new technology, you know, the de-aging software. So, I don't see that being one of Ang Lee's Oscar contenders. It's really kind of interesting choice for him to do next, but who knows? <clears throat> but who knows? I, I've liked most everything he's done, so, you know, I'll, I'll keep my eyes open. Ang Lee makes a Terminator. Yeah, well, I mean, do you guys... That sounds really generic to y'all, doesn't it? Uh... uh... Angley is hit or miss. That's all I'm going to say. So this is an interesting one. I'm sure you guys heard about this. You know, the author of the Lost City of Z book does narrative nonfiction, and he got a book I had been very excited about. I had had it pre-ordered. It just came out last week. Um, haven't gotten to read it yet, but it is basically about a bunch of murders on a Native American reservation. Um, after oil is discovered there and it is involved with the early days, the FBI, by all accounts, a great book and Scorsese and DiCaprio circling the project. So that will be an interesting film for them to do next. Do you feel that uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio can
3: possibly top the work that they have done so far?
0: I don't know. I also don't know how many of these Scorsese projects that he's, he's signed on to like eight films. I don't know how many of these he's going to get to make. He's going to work till the day he dies. And what is he? 75 now? 76.
2: Oh, well. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if he wanted to do every film he signed on to, he would have to do it until he's like 95 years old. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I think he's an immensely talented director. And no, I don't think that his best work is necessarily behind him. It will be hard to top some of his pre-existing DiCaprio efforts. But that's an interesting plot, too. I love historical dramas. I still maintain that years from now,
3: you're all going to say silence is a masterpiece.
2: We'll see about that.
0: Period K, the production company behind Manchester by the Sea, that was not Amazon, obviously, um, is doing a film about people who were forced to go through gay conversion therapy. So if it can be handled with any of the nuance that... Um, Kenneth Lonergan brought to Manchester by the Sea, that is something that on paper sounds like an incredibly Oscar-friendly project. Uh, you know, that, that is always a timely theme. And some interesting films popping up at Telluride... Or not... Some interesting films popping up at uh, Trebecca. We have one I told you guys about earlier, which a 72-year-old neurosurgeon with no background in writing or directing directed and wrote this film uh, with Martin Landau about living in a nursing home that Martin Landau is just raving about, says it's one of the best things he's ever done. And, you know, it, if it does well reviews-wise, in theory, you know, that's that's a pretty baity part, the genius in a nursing home role and landau's a you know he's a former winner that could be something that ends up in the acting conversation this year plus it's just cool that someone at the age of that director entered the film sphere you know so old and made by all accounts a good film see what you could do when you have lots of money people yeah i mean he just he just took like six months off from his practice because he was loaded but it's still i mean that's really cool and um, we, uh, there's also on the other end of the spectrum, there's a film from a 20-year-old girl who uh, never went to film school or anything, but pitched a script that she came up with while she was in high school and sent it to uh, the Sundance Institute and was able to assemble a film. And so she, I think, started it when she was 17, which is just so impressive and has a film at Tribeca now, a feature. At 20 years old, so I'm, you know, I'm 23 wondering what I've been doing with my life. But that's
3: Maybe uh, she should marry Xavier Dolan.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know that that would work for him, but... No, I, I know. I, I,
3: listen, yeah. I, was like, I was like, who's a very, very young director? <laughs> just came off the
0: top of my head. Dolan came from a lot of money in his family, you know, and had a dad who was able to really get him in the industry. This sounds like somebody who just, like, you know, forged her path entirely. I think that's so cool. So the anti Landis, basically. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's a high school set remake of the Crucible, I believe. So th- that what? sounds yeah. <clears throat> so that sounds that pretty interesting. That sounds
2: really cool. And then the lovers also premiered at Tribeca with Tracy Letts and Deborah Winger, who I love.
0: I was gonna say that's a Michael cast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that actually opens in a few weeks, and they're getting terrific reviews
0: so far. So far, so good. Yeah, that'll be a
2: summer art house hit, like a Marigold Hotel or something like that.
0: Yeah, that sounds
3: right. I don't know if it's gonna be a hit just yet. Um, I think it will be with the art houses. I think it'll be a summer gem. Let's put it that way. Okay. I don't think it's going to be a huge hit though, because I don't think it's been marketed well enough uh, to be a huge wait, hit. I'm
2: talking like maybe five ten range, which is good for that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. And then uh, finally, there is apparently a Madonna biopic in the process called Blonde Ambition that is going into development and looking for talent. So that's all the news I have. Hold on, for wait, wait, let me back up for a minute here. Madonna biopic? Yeah.
3: As in somebody's going to play Madonna.
0: Yeah, I mean... Let do we be, have uh, any
3: uh, any uh, dream suggestions right now at the moment? And do not say Jennifer Lawrence. I
0: feel like, Mike, you would... I, I feel like you've thought about this. Lady Gaga
2: should play Madonna.
0: Oh, Lady Gaga?
3: Isn't Lady Gaga too uh, too old at this point? Yeah. Or do you think she's. What do you think she's the right age? It's
0: set in the early 1980s, too, during her first album. So, yeah. Um... Okay, and this is interesting. The script was at, like, the top of the blacklist last year. Which sometimes means something, sometimes doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the guy who wrote it worked on Birdman, so that's cool. (laughs) So that's cool. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But believe it or not, I really don't know much about Madonna's music career. I know her from Evita and just being a pop culture person. So that's like the
3: most shocking thing to discover about you, Michael.
2: I'm not a pop music person necessarily. So Avita. that's what we'll, where we can leave it with Madonna.
0: Uh, That's all the news I have for you guys. Uh, Mike or Matt, do you guys have anything else? It was a slow
2: week. Um, bedtime. Yeah.
0: Get some sleep, dude.
3: (laughs) I, I'm, I'm really like at a point where like my eyes are like starting to like slowly slowly close on me um i want to just uh put a word out there though before we leave and just say um even though i wasn't high on the movie completely um i do think there are some uh, good things about it i do highly urge everybody to uh go and see uh terry george's film the promise um I think that the subject matter as it pertains to the Armenian genocide and also how there are so many people still that deny um, its existence and the fact that it happened, Um, you supporting this film is in a way um, a protest, if you will, um, against those people. And I would love nothing more than to see um, that team – somehow, some way, uh, make back um, some of that money that they invested there. I mean, $100 million is a lot of money to put into this project. And like I said, uh, it's got some flaws to it for sure. But um, yeah, I think with this kind of a platform and this kind of a release, I think it definitely should be seeked out by people. So uh, I'll get off my soapbox now in regards to that. What about you, Will? Do you have anything? Uh, do you want to add? I think that's pretty much it for me. Okay, Doki. Then, where can I find
2: you on Twitter, good sir? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And how about you, Michael? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. And while we're we're recording today, just want to give a birthday shout out to Shirley MacLaine and Barbara Streisand.
3: I cannot wait for their reply on Twitter. <laughs> you know where to find me. But in all seriousness, though, um, two legends for sure. Definitely.
0: Oh, uh, Tom Hardy chased down a uh, robber today and, like, tackled him. That's kind of cool. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's news. We'll mention that. Did he do it,
2: like, Revenant style with DiCaprio?
0: We did, but we had to do. Yeah, I, I'd like to assume so. <laughs> oh, my God. Why?
3: Why does Tom Hardy continue to be perfect?
0: Because Tom Hardy is Tom Hardy. Are you surprised Tom Hardy would tackle a mugger? No, <laughs> no, no, and God help me! I would
3: not want that. Could you imagine just oh Mad God. Max chasing after you? Yeah. How terrifying imagine if that he was, was in like his
0: vein or warrior shape too, and that just hit you. Oh! I'd rather Fiorios
2: to tackle me than Max, but to
0: me. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for uh, setting us out on
3: a high note with that. There, Will. All right, see you guys all right guys you've been listening to the next best picture podcast you can subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud google play TuneIn, stitcher and player fm be sure to leave us a review on itunes let us know what you think of the show nothing less than five stars is acceptable and we will see you all next time
1: every Monday.